Right, so my deadline for a feature is just a few days away and I'm really struggling to find case studies. I've been told about Cision's media request service, which helps journalists find interviews and quotes at short notice. So here goes. Cision.co.uk dash journalist hyphen services dash media hyphen requests dash. Great, this is just what I need. PR for companies, charities, leading lifestyle brands, it's all here. Ooh, it even says that if I don't have time to put the request out myself, we've all been there, right? Cision Media Requests team are on hand to help out. And hey, for a rainy day, they can even direct you to PRs in specific sectors, so no faffing around with hashtag journal requests. Content, samples, case studies, sources, I've got it all here on cision.co.uk dash journalist hyphen services dash media hyphen requests dash Consider this feature filed. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Emma Wilkinson. And I'm Lily Cantor. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode with the help of two fabulous guests we give practical tips on key issues you face when working for yourself. In series nine we're getting back to basics. Yes we're going to cover all those topics that are essential for making a success of working as a freelance journalist. And the topic this week is a very juicy one. We're talking about negotiating rates. Is it even possible and how do you go about it? Yes, I always enjoy when we talk about the the money stuff. It always gets really interesting. Uh, And I'm keen to hear the advice of our guests on this one. But before we start, let's discuss our highlight of the week. Lily, what's yours? Well, I thought I've got to pick a money-related one. So mine is I finally have been paid by everyone that owes me money. I've had a big black hole recently. And I've been toing and froing with one particular publication that owed me for eight stories and they paid it into the wrong account and then it bounced back again. Uh, They finally paid it. They still paid it into the wrong account, but they had the right details this time. So it actually came through. So finally I've got that money and I've put, um, been able to put money aside into my savings and be able to cover for Christmas. So I kind of feel that I'm in a nice position going forward. Um, I'm not sure you're quite in the same boat, Emma, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, always owed, always owed money. Um, but it's really good that you finally tracked down that money that went missing. That did not sound like fun at all. Yeah. And I've, although I've also got a mystery payment that I still haven't got to the bottom of, um, it's like £400. I don't know who paid me it. The bank just sent me a load of numbers that didn't mean anything. So I'm just going to sit on that for a while and see if anyone claims it (laughs) I've got no idea what it is yeah listen up everybody if you've accidentally given Lily some money let Let me know (laughs) yeah how about you Emma then what's your highlight so it's not really money related but I finally managed to set up an interview with someone that I've been chasing for weeks which is quite a relief the piece is due next week but without this interview it would have been a lot of speculation Um, and not many answers, kind of really needed this interview. So it's such a nice feeling when a piece that has been a bit difficult to sort comes together. It's so, it always seems to always hinge on that one conversation for me. And why does that one conversation always be like the last person you speak to? It's comes right at the end. Yeah, I had exactly the same thing with the big feature I'm doing. And the last interview I did, I was like, oh, 
finally it's kind of fallen into place. Yes, it's great when that happens. Right, it's time to introduce our guest this week. We have with us Elle Hunt, a UK-based freelance journalist covering people, communities, culture and change. Elle writes a lot for The Guardian, but also has bylines in New Scientist, Grazia, GQ and Stylist, amongst others. We also have with us Taylor Blair, a freelance writer and educator based in South Africa. She writes copy and content for lifestyle brands with her journalism appearing in Refinery29, The Independent, HuffPost, Insider, Fodor's Virtuoso and more. She helps newbie writers get started with freelance writing as a side hustle. Yes, two fantastic guests. Thank you both so much for coming on to talk about this topic. Elle, let's start with you. We're going to dive straight in. And I want to ask you, would you negotiate over a rate for every piece that you do? So how do you kind of know when it's worth starting that conversation? Well, I would say that it's part of the very first um, thing you would factor into whether to take on a piece as a, as a freelancer. There's obviously your personal interest in the topic, your expertise, how much work you have on or not, but the deadline, um, how much time you have available to do it, plus how much you'll be paid, seems to me to be one of the first things uh, to have um, on the table. Uh, whether you negotiate it, I suppose, comes down to whether you think it's fair to start with, but one of my pet hates is when an editor will get in touch about an idea without mentioning the deadline or the per word rate in the first email as though if you're interested in the subject enough you might take it on for free uh yeah I'd love to see us be a little bit more upfront um and direct about uh, money from the start just because it is a business even if we love doing it which um if you don't you wouldn't be <laughs> Yes, completely. And I think it took me a while to get into that mindset. And these days I don't have, it's always the first thing that I mention. I don't have any qualms about mentioning, but I think you kind of have to get over that squeamishness almost about talking about money in the first instance. And Taylor, you do a lot of content and copywriting as well as journalism um, where I'm guessing there may be more flexibility in budgets than there's traditionally been in journalism. What's Tell us your approach to negotiating a rate. So, um, I mean, with, within journalism, I do still try to negotiate where I can, especially where I know there's a bit of a window. So if a publication says they do 200 to 400 and they put 200 for, uh, forward as the first offer, I know that there's wiggle room to go higher, but there's not enough wiggle room that I'm going to get anywhere by asking for 600. Um, if they've said 400 is as high as it goes. Um, within copy and content writing, I think as a, um, as a South African, the difficulty I come up against most often is people in first world countries um, expecting that because you live in a third world country, um, they can pay you accordingly. So if someone would merrily have paid someone living in the States uh, $300, say, for a blog, well, you're from South Africa, so like would $20 cut it? Um, there's a lot of that that happens, uh, which is it's not OK to do that. Um, but also with that, I think there's a great deal of rate shaming that ends up happening. So you have people who are trying to get their first big breaks um, and are willing to work for a lot less than someone else. 
and you have people further along in their careers who who will then you know say oh don't accept that never accept that um, everyone's circumstances are going to be different so I think with with copy and content writing there's a bit more wiggle room um, in terms of budget but um, what I try to do is unless I'm I'm desperate for the income I would rather hold that space um, for a client who is going to meet the minimums that I know I need as a, as a per hour or a per word rate. Uh, when it comes to journalism, though, and this, I think it applies a bit more for journalism than for copy and content, uh, content writing, is uh, the balance between pay and prestige. So, for instance, um, I had a, a personal essay that appeared in uh, Huffington Post, and it's my most well-read piece I got over 50 responses um, via email to it, people who reached out who were really touched by it, but the pay was um, really quite low as far as personal essays go. But the um, prestige of the, the publication, the wide readability, um, the, the amount of eyes that it reached, that was worth it. So I think it's important to offset um, pay and prestige when taking on assignments. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it, although, I guess the counter argument would be if, if you've got an article that's really, you know, had that much impact, then perhaps the publication should be paying more. Um, but yeah, it's it, but it is, it's, it's, it's about what what other values are there to that to that commission as well as um the payment, I think. Um and I guess that kind of leads us quite nicely um onto kind of my next question for you, Al, which is about kind of how do you decide what's a fair rate kind of what are you taking into account and you know if you're offered a standard kind of word rate like a rate per word does that always work well I suppose the first thing that comes to mind is that a per word rate is such a challenging way of measuring what we do right like there's a 700 word article and then there's a 700 word article and each of them could be incredibly different in terms of depth of reporting, uh, care taken to the writing, as Taylor says, the response, the, the weight that's put on them. Um, if you're asked or expected to do several drafts, uh, which may not be because the copy that you file is bad, just because of your own expectations of your standard of work, that obviously brings the word rate down. <laughs> so it is a challenge. And I think freelancers, I've certainly had to learn my own um, sort of loose metric for whether to take on work or not, um, being in the fortunate position of being able to choose, just knowing what is going to be worth the investment, knowing that you can't say yes to everything. Um, so things like, uh, you know, if word rate is as it seems to be the kind of standard um, for our industry, it's things like how much reporting will you have to do? How long is it? How soon is it due? Um, you know, whether that makes a difference for uh, whether you're going to have to spend all night writing it or whether you'd write like the night off like that's a fine thing to consider in the money like sometimes if you get offered a piece that's only a couple of hundred pounds you might well decide I'd rather you know you may physically be able to do it but you might decide I'd rather have the night off watching tv without thinking about it like it's not worth the, worth the effort or the money um, particularly when you factor in having to pay for your own tax that sort of stuff um so I think you have to kind of come up with your own measure. Sometimes it is like if you're own personally interested in the topic or if it won't take you too long or if there's no um, reporting you have to do, it's something more personal. But then again, that too can be really challenging to write and you want to be careful about what you're putting out there. So it is worth considering. It's never just a question of 
word deadline and length and there are all these factors that I think to be a successful freelancer you have to learn to balance and it's usually through a process of trial and error I'm sure we've all taken on things that we filed and then realized oh that was not worth it and then it's I think really helpful to go back and um, figure out why it was or wasn't and actually one of the things I'm sort of gearing up to do at the end of this year is to go back through the list of articles I've published and be like, what worked about this one, what didn't, and try and inform um, a matrix uh, for how to say yes or no in future. But the other thing I want to stress, I guess, is even if you're personally interested in the topic, it's still work, it's still business. And, you know, as you said, if a piece is getting well read, if it serves these, these companies and these publications, it should be given a fair rate and what we might discuss as a fair rate is is you know there is some individual mileage in that but some of the pieces that are being chopped around is sort of you know 12p a word and I just don't think that's rewarding people's time um or even ensuring good work for the people reading it like there's usually wriggle room in um media companies even if it's not as much in um as in branded content. And I think freelancers need to, you know, while allowing for, as Taylor said, that there are some people at the start of their career that um, want to get a break and want to rack up bylines and not everyone's in the position of being able to turn down work. I think you should be turning down work if the rate is devaluing what you do um, and what everyone else does across the board. Um, but yeah, if, if a company can afford to print a magazine, they can afford to pay a fair rate for it, I think. Yeah, you do see some really shockingly low rates, which fortunately I've never come across. Um, I've come across some pretty low rates for uh, shift work. Um, but it's interesting what you said about the amount of reporting, for example, involved. There's a couple of occasions recently where I've um, negotiated an increase in the final fee um, as the piece has gone on because they've because they've changed something and aspects changed or there was a lot more reporting and checking. So I actually went back and said, look, this is taking more than we envisage. So that negotiation can still happen later down the line as well. I mean, all that does come with experience. Um, Taylor, talk us through, because this is what everybody wants to know. They want to know like the phrases that you use and how you would go about it. So talk us through how you would approach a negotiation. Let's say someone's offered you a rate, but your sense is that this is actually too low. What do you do next? What's the next step? I think there's a few steps that you can follow. So, I mean, obviously, if you've got a lot of work coming in, you can be choosy um, and you can walk away from something completely. Um, one of the things I quite favor doing is if, if after asking for a rate increase doesn't go anywhere, you know, they're absolutely fixed on the amount, they're not willing to give in to anything higher, you can uh, sometimes negotiate the scope of work within that. So you can then say, all right, well, then instead of me speaking to four experts for this piece, would you mind if I spoke to two and interviewed them? instead of writing 1500 words, how does a thousand sound? Because then that's more in line with the kind of work you're going to be putting in um, for the rate that's on offer. And that's when they're not willing to bend. But in terms of a, a script, honestly, I, I do favor the phrase wiggle room. Um, and it does tend to be what I favor. So I, I'll, you know, they'll come forward with the first offer and I'll say, 
I typically write a insert type of article, you know, personal essay, service piece, whatever it is, um, for an average of this amount. So this is a bit below budget. Is there wiggle room? And then you keep it open-ended. And I think one of the biggest problems is people tend to, um, they count themselves out before even asking. They assume there's no way the wiggle room will, will exist. Um, that I'm going to be called greedy. They're going to take the commission away from me. Um, and that's never happened to me. Not once, not ever. It's on offer. They want you for the piece. Now it's just, you know, the nuts and bolts negotiations. If they've put 400 on the table, you're asking if 500 is doable. The worst thing that happens is they go, sorry, no, not. Are you still interested? That's the extent of what happens. Um, but people have such fear um, rooted in asking for that extra bit that they often don't even do it. And they're leaving money quite literally on the table. It's it's on offer. It's available there. Um, and, and people are too nervous to put themselves out there for fear of rejection. But it won't be rejection. It'll just be someone saying no to the increased rate. You will still get the piece at the lower rate if you decide to go with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, you've still got the option. I mean, I recently had an example um, where it was a shift. A, a publication came to me and said, will you do a new shift for us for um, you know, X amount? And I said, no, that's sort of way below what I would earn for other similar publications doing this. You know, here's my kind of limit. And they said, no, sorry, we can't do that. But actually three months later, they came back to me and said, we can meet your rate. Can you do a new shift for us? I was like, well, yeah, sure. I mean, I think sometimes you just have to know where your red line is, right? That that's just way too low. Um, I mean, just in terms of getting more practical advice, Elle, can you talk us through as an example of when you successfully negotiated a higher rate for an article and sort of how you went about it? I completely agree with everything you've just said is that why wouldn't you ask and also I agree with um, having some kind of sense of what your bottom line is I think it takes a lot of the angst out of both negotiating asking for more but also should I do this thing should I is it worth the prestige versus the time I think if you have some sense of what you are worth um, even if it's low you know even if you think it is 10p a word when people come to you with something that doesn't meet that, it's just easier to say no. Um, and as you say, having that kind of um, line that it has to cross or not, because, you know, if someone takes away an offer of work for you that isn't fair, you haven't lost anything. And as you say, um, Emma, they may come back in the future and, and that's actually better in the long term. So in terms of an example, I think the best times to negotiate rates are either when you're first writing for a publication and it's their first contact, uh, just because that's when you're getting hopefully a relationship in place that will will stay, you know, in train for the rest of your kind of career. You do a good job, they come back to you for more, and that's the kind of good time to talk money when you're getting that relationship sort of set up. Or when you've been writing for a publication for a while, they've come back to you, you've got a relationship with the editor. Um, and as Taylor said, it's always worth asking you know wiggle room is probably a phrase I've used too but also accepting that the person you're dealing with often the commissioning editor is not the person who sets the rates um so you can sort of I often acknowledge this in the email where I say you know I know it's not your decision um sometimes they're freelance writers themselves on the side so they know what it's like um but they can't go to their editor or the person who does make the decisions if you haven't asked so sometimes I'll acknowledge I, I you know you know what it's like or 
Um, I don't suppose there's, you know, I know it's not your decision um, to set these rates, but I can't write for anything less than this. Is there any chance you could match it? Or, you know, it's just worth putting it out there, I think, um, in a way that everyone knows the the game and and how it is played. You know, like everyone knows that you sort of, if someone will do it for, for less, you know, they'll they'll take that. Um, so it's worth asking, I think, just to move the average up for higher for everyone. Um, but yeah, I think I've definitely had success in both instances, both at the start saying if there's a fast turnaround, for example, you know, it would be great to lift this a little higher um, just because I need to, I'll have to work nights to do it in time. And then also if um, we've been working for a little while together and I know that, you know, they, they value my work, but always ask because the worst that can happen is that they say no. And I, I'd like Taylor said, I don't think I've ever had work taken like the, the offer rescinded it's you know if it's there um it's yours to refuse and the only thing that can happen is you end up with a bit more yeah yeah it's always worth asking um I mean I suppose one thing we haven't covered is if you're starting out in industry you might not actually know like the value of your work like how much a piece is worth um so how do you kind of know what the industry standard is and where can you kind of find those figures? Taylor, do you have sort of any resources that you go to to kind of look up what rates should be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so firstly, I think one of the most valuable resources uh, is other freelance writers. So I think there's a false belief that you need to go it alone and everyone else is your competition. But the more you build your network of freelance writers around you, number one, you're, you're building a referral network. So if they, a piece isn't right for them, they'll point an editor towards you, for instance, if it's going to be more your beat. Um, they will, um, you know, it's also a support structure. It's somebody who's in the same game as you, who understands you. And there's also such transparency I found amongst freelance writers where they'll give you insights, you know, they'll go, oh yeah, I've worked for them. Um, they're gonna put this forward as the, their top number. It's not the top number, ask for this. You know, they can give you those sort of insider tips. So the more freelancers that you connect with, the more you're going to gain those sort of insights. Um, I also highly recommend uh, newsletters like Sonia Weiss's, um, I, what is it called? Um, Oh, opportunities of the week that's it yeah so I swear by her ops of the week um, newsletter and it uh, she tends to only put opportunities in there where the rate is listed so you skip right over the ones that aren't going to work for you um, and you can beeline for the ones that do look like a good opportunity and I've got loads of work from opportunities that I found in her newsletter I also think there's a bunch of websites like uh, who pays writers comes to mind um, where you can go there and other journalists who've um, had commissions post what their brief was, what their word count was, and the rate that they got paid. And I think there's also an opportunity to indicate how quickly the rate got paid as well, um, as, as a way for you to sort of gauge um, what's on offer. Um, and Twitter can also be a great resource too. So, you know, if even if a publication hasn't put it out for a specific call out, um, you might find in that editor's history a range of what they typically look for. So sometimes adding, it just requires a bit of digging. Yeah. Sorry, adding yeah. to that list, adding to that list of newsletters, Study Hall is a fantastic one too. Um, it's a sort of low monthly subscription, but they have enormous pitch list that goes out every week with and like Sonia's newsletter, which is great. They only include 
um, publications where the rate is, is mentioned and it really saves a lot of time. Yeah, and there's also um, in the UK, the NUJ have got a freelancers rate um, listing for loads and loads of different types of work and journal resources has got a list. And there's the list that um, Anna Quadreirado put out, um, I think during the pandemic, where people were updating how much they were actually getting paid at publication. So we'll put all of those in our show notes. But yeah, there are quite a few um, different resources around I mean we've talked a lot about kind of some of the phrases that you can use um when when negotiating rates but I mean are there any circumstances where you just wouldn't go down that road in the first place you know when it's just not worth negotiating or um you you're doing it for another reason I guess um Elle do you have any thoughts on that I think it's always worth asking because even if you're really passionate, really keen and really set on doing it, I think why not ask? Um, I suppose it sort of perhaps comes down to the prestige um, question where there are some bylines you and commissions you would try to get without a kind of um, really factoring in the money. For example, I think something like the Guardian Long Read Desk, which I haven't written for, um, requires several rounds of edits where that's something where if you look at it strictly on a per word basis, um, it wouldn't perhaps make the most financial sense. You could maybe make the same amount or more from shorter, less in-depth articles, but you're doing it for the challenge, the opportunity to immerse yourself in a subject and to work with a really great editor. And even, you know, without wanting to sound too lofty, improve your craft, you know. But it's, I think it is still, you know, because we are journalists, because we are passionate about it, we're interested, we enjoy the opportunities and the conversations and the access that comes with it. I do think it's important to always remember that, you know, it's a business, it's how we make our living and we have but one life on this planet and we shouldn't be working for free or close to it. Um, so even if it is a passion project or, or a prestige project, I think it's worth always factoring in money because it might be coming down to sleep or exercise or time with your family. And these are also important things that um, we have, a, am I'm, I'm sure as freelancers and freelance journalists have a tendency to neglect if we, if we uh, have a story on the go. So I think it should be knowing what, not only what you're being paid for, the piece but what you might be giving up what it might be costing you um as well uh this is my my radical post-work um manifesto that i've been pushing since the pandemic yeah and do you think in kind of when you've been doing negotiations i'm going to ask this to both of you uh Elle, i'll come to you first has has there been an aspect of sort of an argument or a proposal that you've put forward in negotiating that has carried the most weight. So it might be your experience or the strength of the idea, or, um, I mean, I recently, because they wanted a really fast turnaround, I asked for 50 pounds more than they'd originally suggested. And in the end they came back and said, yes, cause I felt like they'd let me know that they were in a bit of a bind here. So I was like, right, okay, you need me more than I need you at this point. Elle, have you found that there's, there are certain things that do kind of, hold weight in that negotiation 
No, and and to be honest, I'm probably making it seem like I I push it more than I do. I mostly it's a sort of hail mary pass where in the first instance I'll ask, is there any wriggle room? Um, and if there isn't, you know, fine. If there is, great. Uh, and that reflects that I'm again in this fortunate position to have a more work, like enough work to turn down. But at the same time, even if I didn't, I think I would be looking to do some perhaps more lucrative kind of copywriting work, something like that, where the rate is higher and the stress is lower. Um, so it's not like I have a kind of ironclad uh, or magic series of words, but I think it is about just the act of asking. It, take, it shows that you take yourself seriously as a business, you take your work seriously and, you know, acknowledge that the person you're dealing with is also doing business. Like it is... Um, that's the exchange and you can have this conversation. And I think that has sort of trickle down effects to how else you conduct your, your work as a freelance writer as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes you sound more professional. I've never had anybody get offended from me asking. I agree. I think why would, they, and why would yeah. they get offended? You know, I think it, if anything, you know, it makes you sound more professional, but it also pushes back on this idea that we do it because we love it or you know like often it's a people hobby only, yeah we will only like often people write for free because they're trying to get bylines and experience but we should be paying those people too if it's worth publishing if it's of value then it's worth paying for um and I think it's it's sort of on all of us to to push back on how our work has been devalued by the internet by um you know, publications that are themselves struggling to make revenue to, to show that, well, you know, if what you're doing is is worth asking subscribers to pay for, it's worth paying us fairly for it too. Yeah. I mean, Taylor, have you found that there's anything particular that push, you know, that an editor's kind of more accepting of your negotiation might be kind of speed of turnaround or something else? Yeah, um, I mean, I think also if you're in an enviable position where you've got like a great celebrity interview where they've approached you, they want to chat to you, you know, in a situation like that, it's yours to to shop around to who you want to and, you know, essentially get the rate that you want to get. Um, if you have a case study that you've got a, a connection to and they're going to make or break that piece, you should be rewarded for that. But I think, you know, like Elle says, one of the things I find really helpful with figuring out whether to take it on or not is, you know, firstly, yeah, don't put yourself in the position. Um, if you know someone pays really atrociously, they're renowned for treating um, their journalists really poorly, taking five months to pay you, that sort of thing. You don't need to apply there at all. You don't need to send a pitch their way. Um, and, I think also Jen um, Sincero in her book, uh, You Are a Badass at Making Money, which I highly recommend, by the way, um, you know, she talks about the relative value of things. So, you know, I think Elle mentioned 700 words is not 700 words. Um, there's 700 words you can blitz together in, in half an hour and there's 700 words that you are going to painstakingly agonize over for the better part of a month. Um, and it's much like a bottle of water in a five-star restaurant is going to hydrate you exactly the same as a bottle of water from the corner store, but the value is very different. Um, and I think, you know, Jen Sincero in her book also talks about uh, the different uh, states and at the risk of sounding a bit woo here, um, when you take on something that's really low paying and it's much more work than you thought it would be, um, your energy with that 
money with that work is really heavy and low and you you sigh as you're sitting down at the keyboard and your fingers are sort of thumping as you eke out the article and when you're filing it you know there's a sort of good riddance energy to it um, and then on the flip side there's also really negative energy when there's like an exploitative element you know when you're being paid an absolute fortune for something that's well, it really wasn't that much effort to do. Um, so the ideal space is is to find that middle, you know, where you're being paid well and fairly and justly for a really good piece of work that you're, you're putting your heart and soul into, but it's being fairly compensated. And when that's happening, you're in that ideal space where you're producing great work, you're being paid well for it, and everything just feels aligned and fabulous. Um, and, and trying to aim for that, which is why I really love Elle's idea of a, an audit um, at the end of the year, looking at your articles that you've worked through and seeing which ones gave you that space where you didn't feel icky because you're overcharged and you don't feel exploited because you undercharged, but it just sits right with you um, and trying to fill your books with those opportunities. Yeah, I think that audit's a, a really good idea because Emma and I did an episode on self-appraisal where we talked about sort of praising your work and, and what you're doing and what you'd like to be doing. But we, we talked less so about that idea of like appraising your rates um, and who you're working for and whether it's kind of worthwhile financially. And I think there's, you know, it's trial and error and you'll find along the way kind of what works best for you. I know this publication that I, I used to write a lot for, now it's more every now and then, and they only pay £130 for a piece, but they pay really, really quickly, quite often before I've even filed the copy, and quite often it only takes me an hour or so to write. So actually £130 an hour or even for two hours work is worth it, um, but I will only pitch ideas that I know I can turn around quickly. So it's kind of balancing that up. But kind of one thing I just kind of wanted to finally move on to um, was to perhaps kind of some reflection on kind of where we're at in the industry, because I sometimes feel like editors are under pressure to bring rates down. I know we had um, someone contact the other day that they had been negotiating with an editor and, and the editor had said, you know, sorry I have to ask but will you do it for any less than that and my advice to that person was absolutely no way go back to them and say this is you know this is actually already below the standard industry rate this is all I can do it for um, and the editor came back and said yeah that's absolutely fine it's just my boss will tell me off if I don't ask you that in the first place so the editor's under pressure to try and pay less and I had a situation myself recently where someone I've been writing for regularly offered me a completely different rate to what they normally pay. Um, they commissioned three pieces and I thought, are they thinking if they if they commission three that I give them a discount? Um, so I went back and said, sorry, but, um, you know, is it possible to get paid my usual rate, which is this? Um, and she came back and was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you were on that rate. Um, my budget's a bit tight this month, but um, I, I'll find the money. So I think sometimes we do find editors or their bosses are, are kind of trying to really squeeze freelancers. And you hear a lot that rates are stagnant and they've been the same for decades. And I guess as freelancers, we've got a responsibility to push back against that. 
And I, ju- I just wondered kind of what's your take on that? Do you feel like the, you know, that there is a rates issue in the industry? Sorry, I sound like I've just got my soapbox, but Elle, what, what's your take on this? I think absolutely. And I think it's been a problem for quite a while, right? Like, I mean, we see it across the board in staff jobs as well, where there aren't pay rises. There are journalists walking out of the job because they're, they're not getting pay rises. Um, and of course, this is now increasingly a societal problem with the cost of living crisis. It's not just journalism. We've perhaps become more accustomed to it than other other industries. Um, but yeah, everyone is feeling the squeeze, editors and freelancers alike. And I think the fact that you're getting, you know, editors under pressure reaching out to you to um, see if you're right for less shows the importance of standing your ground and asking for more. Like it, it's not a deferential relationship if they've come to you because they they know you do a good job. And if they're you know, in both those cases, you know, they were able to match your standard rate, but I think it's being aware that they're going to be looking to save money in the same way that you should be looking to make more money. Um, I would like to see, you know, a, a world where we can all just say we won't write for, for you know, some pieces, are, uh, no piece should be worth, you know, 10p a word but that's not the reality of the industry right like people are expecting to read high quality content for free and we don't have a reliable business model um, of uh, keeping these publications afloat in many ways at the same time you know I think sometimes editorial departments not at the places that I've been fortunate to write for Um, But at the same time, you know, they can, I think, trade on this idea of the impoverished media and they are still making billions Mm. and millions in profit. And this is the thing. It's like if you have a magazine um, that is making a a profit each year, it's a print magazine, it has advertising, it's still selling. That needs to be the, the content, the copy needs to be factored into your business model because without it, you just have ads. And this is the, like, I think perhaps sometimes there can be a little bit of a, you know, you wouldn't be in journalism unless you loved it. We don't do it for the money. There should be a bottom line of you don't have a product without writers, without um, creatives, and that needs to be valued fairly. So if you have any kind of wherewithal to turn down um, work that isn't worth it for you personally, whatever that line is, I really encourage you to do it and to, to tell them that the rate is just not high enough because if we act like we're grateful for for the scraps that we get there's no incentive for these companies to offer more yeah and I think also sometimes the rate for say for example a shift versus a commission piece is so vastly different like they might expect you to work for a whole day for 120 pounds yet they'll pay you 150 for a piece that'll take a few hours to put together and that I find kind of mind-boggling but um, I know when I've been off a shift, shift work and I've and I've turned it down, I have actually turned around and said, but do you commission and what, how much do you pay? And kind of tried to keep those doors open because they no, do normally pay more. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned the 10, 10p per word rate as well, because there's a publication, everyone keeps asking me why I don't write for this particular magazine. And it's because they pay 10p a word and I, I'm not working for 10p a word, you know, no matter who the publication is. So you do have to stick to your guns there. I mean, Taylor, have you got any sort of thoughts on where we're at as an industry and what, 
you know, as freelancers, do we have that responsibility to push back? Um, I think I've got quite an interesting perspective, again, through having um, right, being a writer in South Africa um, and looking at uh, something like shift work, right? Looking at shift work at, 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 at newsrooms in the UK. And I, I, I can't wrap my head around how that works out to a doable hourly rate. Why not take the eight hours you will spend on that shift don't do the shift, spend your eight hours just punching out a whole lot of pitches, send those out there and you're going to make thousands more in pounds than you're going to make in that shift. I, I don't understand how the shift model is sustainable. Um, and I think when we're looking at the idea of the, the impoverished media um, narrative, a, a large chunk of it probably comes from that. I think you need to yeah, you've got to have a, a point that you're not going to go below. And that's going to differ from person to person. But I do agree with Earl that it needs to be high enough that, you know, they get the message. So if you are hitting out at, at 10 different journalists and every single one is going, sorry, no, not for that rate. It's only through that that you're going to go to the higher ups and go, so listen, we can't find anyone to write the article what are we going to do? Um, and if you don't have that, if you have somebody who's who's always going to take the the, the scraps, um, you know, the, the opportunity um, to deliver scraps potentially becomes a bit higher. And then I think the editors need to consider what the caliber of the content they want to put out um, and who they're approaching. And, you know, if you're consistently being told, no, that rate is not acceptable, you hear editors complain about you. Why? Why isn't my inbox overflowing with pictures? There needs to be a bit of self-reflection in some instances, right? Perhaps it's because you're renowned for paying terribly, um, and as a result, people would rather take their fabulous, timely hook um, and go elsewhere with it. And then, in that way, you know, when publications who pay their journalists well. Um, and who are a pleasure to work with, they're the ones who are going to have the, you know, inboxes that runneth over. Um, and those who don't offer that, who, you know, mistreat freelancers um, by offering criminal rates, they're going to to run dry um, and rightfully so. I think. Yeah, I mean, and it comes with experience because I think we're all coming from the perspective of having done this for a number of years. Um, and I think it is up to those of us who are more experienced to kind of push back and say, um, your rates are too low, you know, here is what the industry standard is, here is what I get paid for other publications that are similar to yours. So I work for a lot of um, specialist magazines that do tend to pay a bit better sometimes than kind of nationals uh, for shift work and for features. Um, but, you know, if they come to me, if a, if a different publication comes to me with a, you know, a word rate or an offer that's below, I can say, look, do you realize this is what all your competitors, all your peers are paying for the work? You're not going to get the same quality if that's the rate that you're offering. And I think it is up to those of us who have that bit of extra experience to, to push back. The shift rate, while I agree, is completely low it doesn't match up the pitching of the um, articles particularly when some of these shifts expect you to do news rates where it would, uh, publishing where it would be like four articles in a shift um, they are great for journalists wanting to get new experience because particularly uh, in this sort of uh, remote working 
age it's quite hard to work with editors and one of the best ways you learn is by being in a newsroom being able to see what other people are doing go to those meetings so there are you know questions of if you're trying to learn you know if you means it gets you into a newsroom 120 pounds might be quite a good um rate in making those connections but it's just knowing um when someone's taking the piss to be frank <laughs> Yeah, and also when to stop, like that that rate may be okay for for a short time whilst you build up those contacts. But once you've got those contacts, you need to move away from that that model because you you can be earning um a lot more. And the other thing I just say finally on that is is sometimes when you do shift work, they'll put you on payroll and then you've got to measure the pros and cons of that. So you'll get taxed at source, but then they may also be paying holiday pay. So you're actually getting more. You may also be able to take sick leave um they may be paying into a pension for you so there are kind of lots of things to think about um you know with that but you know this has been a really useful conversation I think and I, I think particularly for those starting out just giving them that confidence to um you know not just accept like the first um the first rate that that's given to them um just to round up then um like to come to both of you for your kind of one piece of takeaway advice um from today's chat so Taylor perhaps if we could sort of start with you what would be your kind of one key tip um I think my key tip that I'm taking out of our conversation today is Elle's suggestion of the audit um I plan on going through all the pieces I've had commissioned and evaluating the amount of time that went into it um, what was paid, how long it took to get paid, um, and evaluating whether I would say yes to the same rate again with the same publication, if it would be the same rate with a different publication, and just taking the opportunity to do a year in review so that if there are misaligned um, pieces that you've written where you were underpaid or you didn't like how long it took that you can put a mark against that um, as you go into 2023 to do better yeah it's the perfect time of year isn't it to start thinking about all those things and re reflect on what you might do differently next year uh Elle, Elle, same question to you what what would be a one top tip you take away from today's chat I think to to sort of professionalize a little bit I mean it's easy to um, after having been a writer for quite a while to just be like, oh, this is what I do. But sometimes it is good to take the step back and think, which are the relationships that I'm finding rewarding and the commissions that I'm finding um, challenging or expensive and just acknowledging that time is money and I can't, you know, it is worth making that cost benefit analysis of what, you know, what am I just doing because I've always done it and what would I actually like to, to grow, expand in, see more from, you know, separate to the question of money, I think in some ways it's knowing sometimes would you like to set up your business so that you can get a full hours of sleep every night, you know, um, or is it saying yes to every uh, commission that kind of comes your way. So just sort of trying to think about it more as a business than as um, a number of words in general, I think is quite helpful. Yeah, and it's not always just about the rate. You may be getting a high rate, but if they don't pay you for six months, and I, there was a publication I worked for that was like that, um, it was just a nightmare. It's like a huge chunk of money that I had to chase and chase and chase and chase. And in the end, I thought, this is just not worth it. So it's weighing up lots of different things, isn't it?
Okay, fantastic. I think now, just to finally finish off, we're going to ask both of you for a freelance recommendation. Um, so, Taylor, is there someone who you would like to give a shout out to, perhaps someone um, that you admire? Yeah, um, I have been following Kushi Amin and her work. I think she's writing some fabulous um, news hooked pieces and and she's producing some fabulous work she's also recently moved from the uk to france so i am living vicariously through her um, as she explores her new country in her instagram stories oh fantastic shout out thank you taylor and l same question to you who would you recommend uh i would like to recommend uh one of the two fabulous freelancers in my group chat uh, Amelia Tate and Imogen West Knights, who write a lot for Wired and Financial Times and lots of other places. Um, and I'm recommending them because we discuss rates endlessly and have just by sharing the, um, the amounts we've been paid for different um, publications have all been able to increase our own rates. So it's speaking to Taylor's point about talk about rates with other freelancers because that is actually a really great way of increasing your own rate if you know that someone else has been paid that at that publication. So um, yeah, I Absolutely. recommend a group chat approach. <laughs> yeah, Emma and I are both smiling there. That's the third time Amelia Tate has been recommended on this podcast. And we literally just recorded a podcast episode with her this morning, which has actually come out, come out before this one. Um, I mean, she's fantastic. And, and your other recommendation as well. Thanks so much. We'll put links to all these people in our show notes. Wow, there's been so much to take away from today's episode. So thank you both so much. Yes. Thank you for it, having us. Yeah, it's been great. So much, you know, always, always really interested in learning how other freelancers approach this kind of thing because you're just isolated, aren't you, working on your own. So it's really fascinating to hear if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to hear some bonus episodes, then you can subscribe to the premium version of our newsletter. Yes, for just £3.33 a month, you'll get bonus episodes as well as resource lists and some pitching examples. To find out more, head to Substack and search for Freelancing for Journalists or check out the show notes in this podcast episode. Yes, and speaking of connecting with other freelancers, if you want to make more connections and you're not already a member of our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community, come along. We have almost 6,000 members in there now. Yes, and we're also on Twitter. We're at Freelancing4 and you can follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And we want to say thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our producer, Maddie Drury. And we'll be back again next week. Goodbye for now. Bye.